Of all the classes I hated in high school, and there were many, geometry was at the top of that list. And I have confessed my sins uh, to you all publicly of how I made it through geometry, and that's a different story for another time. But the geometry teacher that I had was fresh out, fresh out of college, and we just saw that as fresh meat. And it was a great opportunity to mess with him. And so we took every opportunity to, to prank him and mess with him that we could. There were so many different things that we did. I, I'm, I'm old, so we, when I went to school, we had something called overhead projectors. And some of you have no idea what I'm talking about right now. No idea what I'm talking about. But there was this, there was this contraption that would, you would bring out, and you would have these slides, but you could write on them. They were like pieces of paper, but they were clear, and they would be projected onto a, a screen. It was a really, really interesting uh, piece of technology. And some of you are like, we didn't even have electricity when I went to school. Brian, what are you talking about? So I'm not naming names. I don't know why you're saying ooh, okay? I'm not naming names. I'm just pointing out the facts. So we would mess with his overhead system constantly. And then one day, and it was a day, it was the day that he was being observed because he was a fresh teacher. So he was being observed by the assistant principal and, and by somebody from the district office, I think to see if they're going to offer him a full-time contract, <laughs> which they did. <laughs> but as, as he got class started, he, he would always sit on a stool and talk to us. And that morning, the bell rang, we're all in our seats, the dignitaries from the school have lined up in the back of the room, and he sits on the stool, and it just collapses, which is hilarious. <laughs> and he, like, bites it hard. And some of you are like, ooh, he could have been hurt. And you're not the people that watch YouTube fail videos, clearly. But for those of us who do, you just see the teacher go down, and it was hilarious. And he stands up, and he points at me. And he says, Brian, I know it was you, which is interesting. Because this time, it wasn't. And what that meant was, clearly I had won. Because when you are so far in their mind that they are now accusing you of things you had absolutely nothing to do with, and they are absolutely sure that you are responsible, you've won. You win. And I said, I had nothing to do with it. And he said, I know it was you. And I said, I, I, I really had nothing to do with it. And he said, I'm going to prove it. And of course he never could. Because I really had nothing to do with that one. Now just between you and me, I wish I did. Because it was great. But I couldn't claim ownership to it. Because I had nothing to do with it. I don't know if you've ever been falsely accused of something. But if you've ever been falsely accused of something, it may not be anything significant. It might be whether or not you rigged up the geometry teacher's stool and made him fall in front of the class. Or maybe you've been accused of eating the last whatever piece of dessert that was hidden away and putting back an empty container. You know, sometimes in life it doesn't really matter if we're falsely accused. Other times in life, if we're falsely accused, it can seemingly ruin our lives. Right now, the World Series is going on, and for those of you who know me, you know I'm a 
I'm a major baseball fan. I, I love I love most sports, but baseball is my absolute favorite. And a couple years ago, there was one of the best pitchers in baseball named Trevor Bauer. And Trevor Bauer had signed a massive contract with the Los Angeles Dodgers. And then, coming on the heels of the Me Too movement and everything else, there were some horrific allegations that were made towards Trevor Bauer that essentially ruined his career. Only within the last month have those allegations been proven to be absolutely false. The damage to his career has still been done. There are times when being falsely accused changes the narrative around the way people see us and perceive us. And sometimes that damage will seemingly never be undone. If we're accused of something small falsely, it's not that big of a deal. Sometimes we can be falsely accused of things that will seemingly ruin our lives. And it's in that situation today that we continue our look where the Apostle Paul found himself. If you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us this morning in the Bible app. It's a free resource that we utilize every week here at Lakeside. A number of great features in the Bible app. The one that we use every week is called Events. And once you've installed the Bible app on your device... You can access the events feature and then either enable your locations or write in Lakeside Community Church Algoma. Our service will pop up. You can follow along with us that way. If you have a traditional Bible with you this morning, we are walking through the New Testament book of Acts, the fifth book in the New Testament, and we are going to look at the last couple verses of Acts 21 today and then Acts chapter 22. So we'll be diving in This morning in Acts 21, starting in verse 37, if you're joining us via the stream, thanks so much for joining us. My name is Brian. I'm part of the team here at Lakeside, and the verses will be available for you on the screen below. We left off last week looking at the majority of Acts chapter 21, where the Apostle Paul wanted to go to Jerusalem, and we saw in Acts 20 and the first part of Acts chapter 21, the people that loved Paul kept telling him, don't go, don't go, don't go. And he finally just said, I don't care if I die. That's where I want to go. And we saw how much love and concern and care he had for people who hated him. And how sometimes when God calls us to serve people, We will have to serve people that don't love us. Sometimes we will go and we will do everything right and there will still be people who do not respond in the way they should. And the question that all of us have to wrestle with as people that love and follow Jesus is then what do we do? Now we're given even more glimpse into the story in Acts 21 beginning in verse 37 where we read these words. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, He said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? And Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language. 
Paul, as we saw last week, was arrested. He was beaten. There was a riot that was unfolding in Jerusalem. And now we discover that the tribune, the Roman security force leader, who rushed in with his forces and arrested Paul, and, and Paul was beaten, and his, his men carried him away. He's mistaken the identity of Paul for a terrorist. He thought Paul was someone who years before had led an uprising trying to overthrow the Roman government, trying to get rid of their presence in Jerusalem. And Paul was mistaken to be that terrorist. He had just been beaten. They had just tried to kill him. The security forces here have him confused with someone else. He's been falsely accused of something that he had no part in. And Paul says, it's not me. You've got the wrong information. You have the wrong person. Can I address everyone? And then we get to the address. Acts chapter 22. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. Now as Paul addressed them in their native language, they got even quieter. A hush had already formed over the crowd, but then they, they listened even more intently all of a sudden when they heard him speaking in Hebrew. I am a Jew, born in Tarsus, in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Paul says, I'm not who you think I am. I haven't done what you think I've done. And let me tell you my story. Let me tell you the facts about me. I have the pedigree. I have the pedigree you're looking for. I was educated. I was educated under Gamaliel. I was brought up under the law. I was zealous. I was zealous for God. How zealous was I? That when all of a sudden this group of people who started proclaiming salvation is found in this guy named Jesus, I opposed them. And I didn't just argue with them. I persecuted them. I arrested their men and women. I, I oversaw them being beaten. Remember Acts chapter 7. We're told that there was Paul, Saul at the time, but there he stood approvingly. 
as Stephen was stoned to death. That's my pedigree. I arrested men and women, and I was on my way to do even more of that. And as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. Now Paul is retelling his story. He's retelling the story that we've seen unfold in great detail of what God did in his life, of the radical transformation that took place in his life. Of this miraculous encounter that as Saul is going to Damascus and he's going to persecute more people that have followed Jesus, all of a sudden he has an encounter with the very God he is going to oppose. And Paul, who's worshipped God all his life, but hadn't come to the place where he recognized that Jesus is part of the Trinity and he is the promised Messiah, is now having a miraculous direct encounter with God where the hope of Christ is revealed to him. And he is blinded by this light And the people that are with him, they see the light, but they don't understand everything that's going on with this voice. And he talks here about the encounter that he had with God. And and I, I just love this part where Paul makes it a point to talk about how he is blinded, how he is blinded, but he is led by the hand of those who are with him to Damascus. They didn't just scatter. They didn't just run. Clearly there's something supernatural going on here that they wouldn't fully fathom and they wouldn't fully understand. They see the light, but but everything that's going on audibly, they don't fully comprehend. And yet there they stay. They see the condition that Paul's left in. And they accompany him and lead him by the hand to Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and I saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Ananias walks him through the steps of faith, and Saul places his faith in Christ. 
We had people along the journey who helped guide him as he's blinded, helped guide him along the way so he could get to Damascus. And there in Damascus, God has Ananias appointed to have a meeting with Saul and to explain to him the hope of Jesus. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Paul has been beaten. He's been arrested. He's been falsely accused. And he's been telling people his defense. And what is his defense? It's his story. It's his story. It's how God has worked in his life. And the thing that every single one of us has at our disposal is just that. It's our story. That every single one of us is unique. And every single one of us brings Unique circumstances and situations, places that we've been, things that we've accomplished, mistakes that we've made, friends that we've had. That when, when Paul is here and he's giving this defense, what he does is he walks people through his life and the journey that God has had him on. And I recognize that in all of our lives, there are aspects of our story that we wish we could go back with an eraser and just kind of do over. Or maybe for some people, you just want to like burn a couple chapters. Understand that? You're like, an eraser isn't going to cut it. And what's fascinating to me is that Paul doesn't gloss over things. Here it is. Here's my upbringing. Here's the way that I learned. Here's the pedigree that I had. And here's the zeal that I had to oppose the very God I now serve. He doesn't gloss over it. He doesn't shy away from it. He's open and he's honest about the mistakes that he's made about the lessons that he's learned, about the journey that God has had him on. And I recognize for all of us, there are those things in our lives that we wish we could do over. But what I really want to encourage you with is this. If you've ever had the idea, well, I know God still loves me, even though all of that. But he can't use me because of all of that. 
I'll just tell you to take a look at Acts chapter 22. And a guy named Paul, who would go on under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to write two-thirds of the New Testament. Who years before was doing everything he could to persecute and kill Christians. And God didn't write him off. God wasn't done with him. God used his story now God has called all of us who love and follow him to always be ready at all times to give an account for the hope that we have and if if we love and follow Jesus well then people are going to notice there's a difference in our lives and it doesn't mean that we have to make every decision right we should strive to do that but we're not going to none of us are going to be perfect but it's those times when we do fall short and we do make mistakes that we are quick to ask God to forgive us and we try to change our conduct we try to honor him with our lives if we live and we follow after Jesus, then people are going to notice a difference in our lives. They're going to notice something that's, that's just different between us and most people. And that's going to be appealing to people. At least it should be. And I recognize that the idea of, of sharing your faith with people can, can be incredibly difficult from the outside looking in. I'd be like, I, I love Jesus, don't get me wrong, but I could never do that. I'm not a pastor or something. And the good news for you is you don't have to be. I would invite you to just tell people your story. It doesn't mean that every person you meet, you have to go back to those chapters that you wish you could have erased or maybe ripped out of the book and been like, sit on down. Let's go. But I'd encourage you not to gloss over things either. It's not that every circumstance and every situation is right for you to air every mistake that you've made. But your story is one of the most powerful things you have. Because it is one of the greatest ways that we can all proclaim God's redemption. So don't you for a minute think, well, because of this or because of that mistake, that God can't use me. And that I can never be effective for Him. Because I don't know what's in your past. And maybe you've killed somebody. I don't know. But even if you have, even if you have, I'm willing to bet that the motive for your killing them wasn't, oh, they love and follow Jesus. Let's get them. So, if God can use that person, what makes you think your failures are so impressive that God can't use you? 
here Paul tells a story of who he was. But now who he is. And how God transformed him and changed him. And I would just invite you, share your story of where you've been and what God has done and what's happened since. And I want you to notice this as well. That as he's as he's talking, and, and as God very clearly calls him where to go, verse 19 says this, And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I, I imprisoned and beat those who, who believed in you. Paul is nervous about what God has called him to do. He's nervous about what God has, has called him to do. And I, I want to contrast that with what we've been seeing recently. The people are nervous now about what Paul is going to do. And Paul says, I don't care if I die. See, sometimes we can think that when we follow Jesus, we, we, are, we are completely saved. And we are, don't get me wrong. But we can, we can start to think, okay, well, God's done transforming me at the moment of salvation. And nothing could be further from the truth. Now, don't make any mistake. At the moment of salvation, you are completely transformed. Scripture says you've crossed over from spiritual death to life. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. The ultimate transformation has been made in your life at the moment you accept Christ as your Savior. But God is not done transforming your life ever. It's the process that we like to put difficult names on some things. It's the process called sanctification. It's a process where every day God is working on our lives so that each and every day I look a little more like Jesus and a little less like myself. And sometimes we just need to give ourselves some grace to remember that we're still a work in progress and God is still working in our lives. And that the Paul we see here in Acts chapter 22 is not the Paul we see years before. That God has continued to work in his life. God's continued to work on his heart. He's now at the point where he says, if I die, I die. I don't care. But he wasn't always there. And he still loved Jesus. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. The crowd's a little angry. 
The crowd's a little angry as Paul's told them their story and ultimately arrives at the place that the hope is found in Christ and that the message of Jesus is available and salvation's available not just to the Jews, but to Gentiles as well. And the crowd is, they're a little perturbed. So much so that they're like, "Mm, he should die. They start yelling and demanding that be put to death. And the tribune decides that, well, probably shouldn't put him to death, but let's, let's beat him first, and then we'll figure out what's really going on. Generally, you're hoping for a more favorable judge if, you're ever, if you ever find yourself in some legal trouble. Like, maybe let's figure out what's going on before we go to the beatings, okay? But, but when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? And when the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. Paul plays his citizenship card here, which means he has more rights than just random people in the region. So the tribune came and said to Paul, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And Paul said, yes. And the tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. And Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. Now, I want to give you a little more context of what's going on here. There were dual levels of citizenship Those who were born Roman citizens, they had the highest level of citizenship. Similar to our country today, where if you were born in the country, you're you're a citizen. Other people could buy their citizenship. And it came with a number, came with a a number of, of great benefits, but they weren't on the same level as those who were naturally born. It was a different level. The tribune is a citizen, but he's bought his citizenship. Paul is a citizen by birth. And that's when the tribune realizes, "Uh uh-oh, I've messed up. Because the guy that's been arrested, and the guy we're about to beat outranks me. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet, and he brought Paul down and set him before them. And now they're about to find out the real story. And this time, Paul doesn't have to get beaten to make that happen. I don't know what you faced in life. I don't know how much of it is a direct result of bad choices that you've made. 
I don't know how much of it's a direct result of people's perceptions of you that may or may not be true. I don't know what you've been falsely accused of. For the people that come and they try to tear down your legacy. I don't, I don't know why sometimes God pulls back the curtain and allows people to find out the truth instantly about those that are falsely accused of things. And why other times it seems like God is distant and on vacation when people are saying things about you that aren't true and aren't real and you just see your character maligned over and over and over again. I don't know why sometimes God jumps in and rescues us from our own stupidity instantly. And why other times it seems like God's just sitting there like, ah, I told you not to do that, but you did it anyway, so how's that working out for you? I don't know. But I do know this, that every situation and every circumstance we have ever encountered, God can use for his glory. Every single one. And we may never understand certain aspects of that. I also understand that when Paul is out on the way to Damascus and he's blinded, that he had friends then guided him every step of the way. So as God's called us to be a community, that's what we strive to be. A place that every person can walk in and recognize that they are loved by God and they are loved by us. For those who made mistakes, you're welcome. For those who've been lied about and maligned, you're welcome. For those that have been written off and cast away, you're welcome. For those that offend other people, you're welcome. And by the way, that's the harder path. But that's what God's called us to be. Because one day, there's going to come a time where we say something that offends somebody. Or one day, there's going, to be, there's going to come a time where we make a really big mistake. And we don't just want an eraser. We don't want to rip out a couple chapters. We just think to ourselves, maybe I should just throw away this whole book. Or one day, somebody's going to come, and they're going to just lie about us and malign our character. People are going to believe it. It's in those moments that we've got to be reminded. There are people 
may not understand everything going on. But they're still going to guide us. And that our Savior can still use our story. And he can use it for his glory. God, I pray. I pray for the person here right now that finds themselves in a situation that they've been lied about. been falsely accused I pray God that they would just remember that you're in control and while everything else is spiraling and everything else is spinning out of control and falling apart I pray they wouldn't lose hope For the person that has more mistakes than they can comprehend, I pray you would remind them that you're not done with them. And you can use their mistakes, yes, even their mistakes, for your glory. And God, I pray for us as a church every person who walks in these doors and know that they are loved by you first and foremost. Loved by us. And that with a, without apology, God, you lift up the life-changing, eternity-altering hope of Jesus. We lift his name high. We see lives transformed, families changed, and hope found because of our Savior. It's in his name we pray.